Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. When she was a kid, she was hanging out at the Corner Candy Store and found a magazine called Backstage. She started flipping through it, and while chomping on her gum, looked at Al, the owner, and said, Hey, Al, someday I'm going to be an actress. Welcome, Carabono. A-OK. Hey everyone, today my guest is Cara Bono. Cara currently stars in the hit Netflix series Stranger Things as Mrs. Karen Wheeler. She was also nominated for an Emmy Award for her portrayal of Dr. Faye Miller on Mad Men. She has done a tremendous amount of work on television, including playing Michael Imperioli's wife, Kelly Moltisanti. Thank you. <laughs> on the final two seasons of The Sopranos, she was a series regular on Third Watch. Other TV shows include Brothers and Sisters, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, SVU, and DR. Cara recently co-starred with John Corbett in the film All Saints, and some of her many other film credits include Beer League, A Good Marriage, Hulk, Next Stop Wonderland, and Kicking and Screaming. She has worked extensively in the New York theater on and off Broadway, and some of those credits include The Rose Tattoo, Some Americans Abroad, and The Tenth Man. 
She graduated from Columbia University in three years with a double major in English and political science. She has run three New York City marathons that I know of. She hails from the Bronx, and I'm so thrilled to have her on my podcast today. Welcome, Kara. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am a fan of the podcast, as you know. I know, which is incredibly flattering and happy making. <laughs> I am so happy to talk with you as my friend and just be part of the podcast history. And because I've been learning so much about actors that I'm, I'm fans of and hearing them speak so candidly about things in such, an, in such a comfortable environment. Then you know something that I'm really fascinated by is where we grew up and who mm -hmm. we grew up with influences so much of our creative paths, so to speak. I know you're from the Bronx, yes. proudly. You're a New York girl. Where did the love of performing begin? And tell me a little bit about growing up. Okay. I started acting when I was quite young. In fact, as young as some of the actors on Stranger Things. It was a totally different time. And I grew up in the Bronx and I grew up, my dad is was a, a truck mechanic, and my mom had various jobs. Uh, there were four of us, so part-time jobs. Where are you and in the family I'm lineup? The last, I'm the baby. I'm the last of four. So it was kind of like there are no pictures of me, no <laughs> video. Well, but, we've made up for that now, Yeah, I guess we? so. Yeah, there's sort of, you know, we sit at the table and like, you're here? Fine. Great. So I think it's a <laughs> myth that the, the baby gets all the attention. That's right. not true. You know, I really loved science and math and actually wanted to be an astronaut. From an early age. From a very early age. And I wasn't really sort of a natural performer. I, I apparently started reading at four. If I had gone to public school, they wanted to skip me. I, like, dropped out of nursery school saying I didn't want to finger paint. I was like, where are the brushes? So, but when I went to a Catholic school, they wouldn't skip me, and I was very bored. But that was the way it was, just you kind of got bored. And so I was really bored. And I just kind of thought about maybe it was just to get attention or something, but there was sort of a community theater. And I thought, well, maybe I could do that. And that might be interesting. So, so a couple of things happened around like the age of 12 or 13. In my neighborhood back in the Bronx, girls were sort of, you know, I was sort of shy, but girls were already like into kissing boys and I, however, had two brothers. Even in a Catholic school? A I Catholic am shocked. School. Shocking. What are you saying to me? It's so shocking. And nobody would, you know, want to kiss me or be, you know, be interested in me. I had two brothers. So I actually thought, well, you know, if you become an actress and there's a scene and they have to kiss you, then they have to kiss you. So I should become an actress. So <laughs> so it wasn't like... You just I just wanted a kiss. I was bored and then I wanted a kiss and then... <laughs> I remember I used to hang out at this candy store where this guy it was called Laval's, and I would play pinball and be like, Al, I'm going to be an actress. And it turns out that they had, uh, he used to get a weekly, the backstage paper, okay? And he goes, well, I've got this paper. And I said, oh, let me look at that. And he wouldn't let me look at it. I had to pay for it. Al. Al Laval, come on. Come on. But it's okay. I always had a Business job first. since I was really young. Right. And I said, hey, these look like things I can audition for. And so I would buy the weekly paper and I kind of studied it and I didn't have any idea what I was doing really. I just kind of told my parents I was going to be an actress and I, some, I don't even remember how I learned you needed headshots and I went to the local photographer. I should 
send a picture of my first headshot. It that was like in the wedding photographer. <laughs> I had a beret. You know, this was like the 80s. So I had a beret and feathered hair. Also, I had terrible acne. And they used to call me Nestle Crunch in school. Actually, they used to call me Nestle Crunch. They pronounced it wrong. So I'd say, if you're going to insult me, say it's Nestle, not Nestle. Doesn't make a very long story short. Don't. Please um, don't make it short because this so, is incredible. I, I love, have these pictures taken. Yeah. And then I would look up things where I saw, you know, could I be this? Will they these, be kissing? These characters. And I, I, at the time, because I did so well in school, my mom would let me stay home or play hooky because my grades were so good. Uh, and I loved playing hooky. I loved not going to school. And I remember, you know, I'd get an address of these were open calls at the time where you would go and kind of sometimes take a number and you'd wait. They, you know, they'd be like a few hundred people sometimes, especially for theater. And then they kind of line you up and look at you sometimes and say you and you say. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And then I remember just kind of showing up sometimes to things I was completely wrong for. I I literally just thought, I'm going to do this. And then I kind of found it interesting um, because I'd meet some people and my mom would come with me sometimes, but then we'd go shopping and have lunch. All better than school. But All better than school. And then she saw an ad for an acting school called Weast Baron. Uh Uh-huh. And she says, well, this looks like something you could do, you know. And I thought, oh, okay. And it was very expensive for us at the time. And I remember enrolling in a class there. And are you still 13, 14 yeah, at the time? Yeah, like... I think I was 12 or 13. That's when I started to learn I had a Bronx accent. I, you know, I dressed a certain way that was what was be your right. What was your fashion sense back then? Do you oh recall? Oh, my gosh. You know, I had very big hair with mm-hmm. the bangs, kind of like in Stranger Things. And... Uh, you know, it was very burrowy, like the Jordache jeans and a lot of um, was it like neon. Bonnie Bell lip gloss and like yeah, yeah. a lot of and I you know uh, lip gloss and the you know mauvey eyeshadows and things like that. And I said, they say you have a Bronx accent. I said, what are you talking about? What is a Bronx? What are you talking about? And the kids would make fun of me, and I didn't even know why because I dressed a certain way, and then they. They would make fun of my cheap clothes and like it was really horrible. Meaning Your the cheap, kids at Catholic school or at the no, acting uh, school? No, because like there was my world in the Bronx and then my world, you know, in Manhattan, which was starting to open up, where I was meeting people from Connecticut, mm. which was you know very foreign to me. Right, and but there were a lot of, happened to be a lot of kids from Connecticut, I guess, who wanted to be actors, and they you know didn't like me or made fun of me, but I didn't know why. I'd only met kids in my neighborhood. And, and we all were wearing the same thing. Wearing the same thing. I didn't, the same. Yeah. didn't really know there was a world outside. Even though right. you're in New York City, it was very... You were in your own little village yeah. of the Bronx. And we went to Manhattan for things, but it's not like you were really socializing with people. And um, and was anyone else in your family interested in the performing arts? Were there cast albums in your house or... Nothing. Nothing. I had never seen a play before I did a play. Um, we just didn't, you know, but there was music in our house. We listened to music. My mom listened to, I remember Charles Aznavour and Shirley Bassey. Now my parents had me very late in life. My mom was uh, 43, 44. I was the last of four. My mom, my dad was much older. So I wasn't even aware that the music I was exposed to through them was 
music that my friends' grandparents were listening to. Right. So, you know, they grew up in the Depression, and it was very different. But my dad loved movies. He, I mean, he can tell you about every movie, every actor. I mean, he's seen everything. So we would talk a lot about that. But there wasn't really any exposure to, you know, theater or the arts or music in that sense. And did they send you to Catholic school because you were religious or it was an alternative for you as a very um, sophisticated student? No, we, all four of us went to Catholic school. Uh, at the time, the public schools where we were were not good. And I also, my dad is quite religious and it, it was important for us, him, that we got a religious education. Your mom was not. When you say my oh, dad no, was she, religious. Oh, no, she was too, but it was more, I mean, you know, I think a lot of Italian-Americans, you know, go to church on Sunday and especially at that time and uh, definitely shaped our upbringing tremendously. But yeah, in, in our school, we didn't have any, there was a Christmas show. Right, but there wasn't like theater no. and, and music and all of those arts no, courses. No, really, really, not at all. And there was hardly even gym. We had gym, I don't even know, like once a month. It was so, so bad. So lame. So lame, my gosh. Uh, and But do you speak Latin? Did you learn Latin? No, it really wasn't a very good education. I had some very good teachers as I got older, but I remember thinking, in fact, I used to tell my mom, mom, there are schools downtown, really good schools downtown. And I know I can, there's schools for smarter kids like me. Please look at them. Can we find them? Can we find them? Please. It's I'm, called gifted and talented. I'm really and trying. Yeah. Please get me out of here. But alas, no. Alas, no. But then, you know, it shaped my sense of humor. It shaped like my ability to, I think it made me very, uh, I, I just had to do it myself. You know, once I started discovering, how did I discover? So so what happened was I was being made, you know, made fun of and I'd start to go on open calls and sometimes I'd get called in for something and they'd say, you're too urban, your accent's this way, or you're too this, you're too that. And I thought, what are all these things? And I remember hanging out at Alavals, looking, flipping through the backstage, chewing big league gum, like the whole lot of it. And there was a play called Spook House. It was written by Harvey Firestein. And it said, 14-year-old pregnant street punk. And I said, hey, I'm almost 14. And then everyone says, I'm like this punky, you know, girl. And I said, this is a good part for me. And I... Al! Al, I think this is going to be it. <laughs> and so I... Good luck, I, kid. He said, I remember he just... I don't even know what we talked about. He just was got us a don't stop getting that paper in. Whatever you, know? you do, whatever Al. you do, Al. And um, so I remember this was the role, and <clears throat> I didn't realize it was for the understudy. And it said the go to the equity lounge or having an open call. And I remember making a point where I got dressed in like a denim skirt and my sister's leather jacket, putting a pillow under. Your and shirt I tried to look like really, you know, tough and, and pregnant. punky and pregnant. <laughs> and I remember rehearsing my line till this day. And I said, "It's not so much the professional experience as my life experience. I know some girls who are pregnant, and if I wasn't an actress, I might be pregnant too." Which was a total lie, but I just thought that would fit the role. That's what I'm going to say. That's to what them. I'm going to say. Yeah. And I remember writing it down and saying, like, being prepared. And I remember I didn't go to school that day. And this this point, I was unusually traveling by myself. Right. But my the people in the neighborhood thought my parents, like my mom, how could you let your daughter go downtown by herself? But I loved it, and I it was still the '80s, and 
I was so excited to be on my own. And I just went from getting off with the express bus, going to the place, and then coming back. In my fantasy of this story, there are like all of these older women hanging out their windows and like clotheslines, like, mm-hmm. go get him, Kara. Like, but mm-hmm. I don't know that it's. <laughs> no, because they didn't, you know, it wasn't. I have a very romantic version of, of Not your many building. people knew I was doing it, but. Um, and Just a Al. A few neighbors and Al. And I remember going to the Equity Lounge, which I think was on 46th Street. 165 West 46th Street. Sure. And it said. Actors Equity Association. There was a woman by like a, a door, and she goes, "Are you Equity?" And I thought, "What?" I said, "Equity, equal, free. I'm free." Yeah, and yeah, I said, yeah. Yes, I am Equity. She goes, "Can I see your card?" And I said, "I don't have a card." She goes, "I'm sorry, I can't let you in." And I thought, oh, "I'm not going away." So she, you know, she turned around and left her post, and I ran in. I love and that. I found the bathroom, and I, I like hid in a stall, thinking they're going to call the police. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to call the police because I have broke a non- into. <laughs> we have a non-equity person here, <laughs> and I was so. But I, then I sweating, I, I, sweating, and I thought, okay, enough time has gone by. No one knows I'm here. And then I was fascinated watching people warm up for dance auditions and seeing actors go over their scripts. And I just, you know, you started to feel like these are my people. Mm. This lounge. I like this equity lounge. (laughs) And then I saw the sign and said, Spook House. And I sat down on the bench. And I remember thinking, everyone, you know, whoever was next. And I said, I'm next. And I walked in. And there's, and I said, I remember, and I think I just said my line. I'm a street punk. And if I weren't an actress, I'd be pregnant. Yes. (laughs) So I went in. And what I remember is they were kind of laughing. And they said, okay, come back and pick up the sides later. And come back. We want you to read for us. I said, "Fine." And I thought, "What the hell are sides? What are they yeah, talking quick question. about?" Quick question. But I didn't want to ask because no. I didn't want to seem like I didn't know what I was doing. So they give me another address, and I remember it, it was fifteen oh one Broadway, and it was Leonard Finger it was a casting director. Because you know, you remember all your first people sure. in your life. And I walked in, and I go, "Yeah, I'm here to pick up the uh, the uh, the sides." I go, "Yes." <laughs> and I picked up the sides for equity for because e- I'm equity. <laughs> And I'm a punk, and I could be so pregnant right now, but luckily I'm, I'm an actress. <laughs> I was third, so so I I take the scene and I'm reading it, and in the scene, she's smoking pot, and she says she rolls a joint, and I have no, I mean, you're an I innocent. grew up in the Bronx, but I have no very innocent, and I have some recollection that you roll a piece of paper. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. So I I go back. It was the next day, I think. So I go back. And I was practicing rolling a joint. I took a whole piece of loose leaf and I memorized it. And I went in and I remember the point where they said the lo- roll the joint. I took the loose leaf. So it was about, you know, 10 inches long. Like you do. A piece of paper. Ten, and I'm pretending ten to foot, smoke. 10 foot joint. A 10 foot joint. And they're laughing. And You're it's Bob a, Marley all of a, a sudden. With like <laughs> it's a serious scene. And they're laughing. And I'm, and I'm thinking, laughing. This is like an upsetting scene and I'm being really serious. And I I almost started crying because I think, why are they laughing at me? And they go, thank you. That's enough. And they stopped me in the middle. And I remember walking from 44th and Broadway to the the bus crying in my little punk outfit thinking, why do they even laugh? I was just upset that they laughed at my seriousness. So disrespectful. So disrespectful. And I get home and my mom says, somebody called. You got this understudy part. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I got it, you know. And I said, I'm a minor. You need to come in and sign this paper. And so I went in with my mom. And I'll never forget. I think I was making like $275 a week. 
And my brother, who just graduated from business school at the time, was just making like $100 more than I was. And I said, I'm going to be the understudy in this play. And I memorized the entire script, like everybody's line. And Anne Mira was in it. I remember just, you know, when they moved, finally moved into the, the theater, which is every actress's worst nightmare. I was there every day, that poor actress. I mean, I was just like, it's time for me to be here. I would just like sit You're in like, the how theater. are you feeling? You feeling okay? <laughs> Who were you understudying? I remember her name was Dawn. I don't Dawn. remember hmm. that. I mean, it was a while ago. Yeah. And I didn't understand how anything worked. I'd never seen a play, but I was watching them rehearse and I was ready. I was ready to go on. And Did I you ever get the, to go on? No, the show didn't run very long. It didn't, I think it didn't get very good reviews. I had a few, you know, understudy rehearsals that I just lived for. And um, I remember Harvey Firestein said to me, he goes, you're so sheltered. He said that to me. I said, he goes, I'm taking you out for some Szechuan food. And I was like, what is this Szechuan food? He's like, it's Chinese food. From a specific region. Of Szechuan. <laughs> and I remember he would take me out for these meals. And I was, you know, things I'd never experienced before. And, and I just, you know, met you know, so many people, and I just fell in love with the theater. So I had this backward sort of circuitous way, and then I just, that someone had heard my story and wrote a little article in the New York Post, and then I got an agent, and then I just did, like, readings or any kind of theater. I worked at primary stages, and I sometimes would just wander around the city looking theaters to see if I could sneak in the back door or something like that. I just realize I found, I felt like I fit in with, you know, show people in the theater. And I just, I thought I'm going to be a grand dame of the theater someday. And, you know, didn't quite go, you know, (laughs) after that, it was, uh, I remember the show closed and I was like inconsolable. I know. I was 13. It's over. It's not, my dream is dead. Yeah. What happened now? What did happen? You went back to school. I went back to school and sometimes, sometimes when you felt like going. And I knew I was, I auditioned for the high school of performing arts, LaGuardia. I knew I just wanted, and I just was banking on that. I would just get in there. And I remember at the time my principal said, you can't go to public school because if you go to public school, you'll go to hell. I said, I won't go to hell. I promise I'm going to still go to church every Sunday. And is that a quote? You can't go to public school. Yes, because that's I, how the headmaster really felt. Yes, yes, because you wouldn't have the Catholic education, and um, I, yeah, I auditioned for LaGuardia at the time, and I, you know, worked on that audition for. I did a John Guerre monologue. I should remember this. It was about spiders in a beehive of your hair eating your head, and then you died. <laughs> crazy thing. And then you got Stranger Things and we're done. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> but um, that just, yeah, you know. Did you get there. in? I got in. And I remember the principal calling me down saying, Kara, come to my office. Well, you got into the school? And I uh-huh. suggest you don't go. Oh, God. And I thought, I promise I will, you know, I, and I ran out of the, I remember like doing one of those silent movie like running, doing like the running dance down the hallway. I'm going to That's incredible. That's incredible. And was it what you dreamed it would be? It was a big change from, you know, Catholic school to public school. Um, the size alone. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, th- I think 2,000 kids in the school. It was so exciting to me because I loved, even though I, I, 
I knew I wanted to be an actress, and I was still a little shy, and I loved watching other people. I always loved watching performers or actors or dancers, and just I'm just I always feel like crying when I watch them because I just think it's so amazing when people have gifts and they're out there being vulnerable. And it was I had some really good teachers, like any experience. Are there people that you are still in touch with that were in your class or that are still performing that were in your class? Not performing. My best friends in my life now are my friends from high school. But my high school math teacher was the most influential person in my life, actually. Tell me. For some reason, I had a few wonderful teachers in the drama department and a few who were very discouraging because I actually kept doing plays during school, which you weren't supposed to do, but I never missed school, the differences. And and I felt like, well, the best way to learn is to keep doing it, and I didn't want to turn down any opportunities. At so the you time. kept acting professionally. Yes. Do, and were those things that you were not an understudy in? Like you got yeah. to do. So what was your first part that wasn't an understudy in your professional career? It, it was, I think, the second season of Primary Stages. Okay. When they were on a little tiny theater on West Forty Fourth between Eighth and Ninth, and it was called Hidden Parts by and Lynn they were doing Alvarez. New plays. Yeah, they were doing new plays, and I played this girl who lived on a farm and whose father was sexually abusing her and she expressed herself in these colorful umbrellas. It was a beautiful play. Um, we all shared one dressing room. <laughs> it was like, you know, one of those small little tiny theaters and, oh, I just loved doing it. I'd, you know, go there after school and rehearse and it was so dramatic. I loved those really dramatic roles when I was young and but the teachers were sort of prickly about the fact that you were... A few of them, yeah. And there was one teacher who said to me, you will not survive eight shows a week in the theater. And I just thought, why are you saying that to me? That's what so that discouraging. Yeah, that's um, not nice. And, uh, but my high school math teacher, when it was time to apply for college, I w wanted to go t to you know USC or UCLA and have a change of scenery. But I also needed a lot of financial aid because we didn't have any money for college. And um, she looked at my schools and she goes, oh, no, you need to apply to better schools. And she made me apply to some very good schools. And she insisted I implied, apply to Columbia. And I said, well, Columbia wouldn't take someone like me. I don't have money for it. It's an Ivy League. And she really insisted I apply to like Sarah Lawrence and all these, you know, liberal arts schools. Mm -hmm. And I got into them. And... And you weren't going to pursue a theater degree. You know, I wasn't. Someone had given me some very good advice, which I I tend to share with young actors, particularly because I was already acting. And they said, you know, I think it's different if you're going to Juilliard and you've never studied anything before. Or um, she said, if you can't get an education, study something else, it'll only enrich you as an artist and an actor. And I didn't really believe it. Because I just thought, well, I know what I want to do. Yeah. But I thought about that. And she also said, you'll never have an opportunity to be with people your age. You know, you're between 18 and 22. And you're all in it together. And there's something about that time in your life. And when I got into Columbia, they also gave me the most financial aid package. Incredible. So it kind of solved it for me. Yeah. And then I was able to continue doing plays. And uh, working. So I worked full-time and went to school full-time. Wow. And how did you, I mean, part of the little-known fact 
factoids about you is that you did it in three years while you were professionally working. Well, I did it in three years and a summer session. Okay. Because... Let's not say that. It sounds well, so much better. I, I feel what like I, mean? I have there to be no honest. <laughs> there was I mean, a side I did like eight credits mm-hmm. over the summer, one summer, or All right. uh, 10, just because Thank I was taking 22 credits a semester, which was still a full load. I was paying my tuition. So even though I had a financial aid package, which you know, was a lot of loans. They're like, here's your financial aid package. It's mostly loans. <laughs> but, and, you know, I'd argue every year, can I have a little bit more, just a grant? And I had some grants that I researched at the time, but it was a lot of money for me. And I had to do it fast. Honestly, that's really the only reason I did it as fast as I could, because it's not a great way to learn because you're rushing it so yeah, much. and a lot of pressure. Yeah, but, you know, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person, right? Isn't that what they say? That's what they say. First of all, thinking outside the box, your creativity and unbridled, unfiltered passion to just go for it on your own is kind of incredible. And and the great fortune that you lived in New York City and that yes. you could do it by yourself. Yes. Because right. you could hop on a bus and do it. Yeah. Um, you have managed in your young life to be on every like iconic popular television show <laughs> that I you know the sopranos mad men and now stranger things like there has been an incredible abundance of television in the world but you're on three of the most popular shows that have ever existed <laughs> well i'm so lucky i mean how lucky am i that i there happened to be roles i happened to have auditions for them and then they worked out but I think also is I love television. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a time, you know, someone on the red carpet asked me recently, like, now you see all these movie stars doing TV. And I said, well, that kind of happened already about 10 years ago. Yeah. Good <laughs> morning. I, good, yeah. Hello. <laughs> but I said, I always loved TV. Like, I wasn't someone who thought, it never now felt beneath you. Yeah. I want to do the movies because right. that's the thing. And I just thought, I love TV. I love watching TV. I'd be happy to be. I'm. Anyone who's listening, I was I always wanted to be on Law and Order for 15 years because I had a whole plan of my life. And right. I think also coming from a working class family and choosing a very, you know, uh, insecure lifestyle, right? right. Like unpredictable. Right. Like so. Did your family just? I mean, you got work right away in the theater, so they mm-hmm. saw obviously like she's not crazy; she's getting cast and stuff. But mm-hmm. every step of the way, they were like, "Okay, Kara, this is great." But now, what are you going to do when you grow up? I think when I got into Columbia, my dad had said, "Well, why are you going there? Go get a business degree." I mean, and I understand, you know, it's what's going to be secure, what's going to be a secure life. And he thought, "Oh, you're so smart; you can go." His thing: be a CEO of a company, be a CEO of a company. Um, opportunities he didn't have. So I think that, uh, I think, you know, there's something about the fear of not having that keeps you really motivated and focused. So I don't ever really get lazy about it Mm -hmm. because I think everything goes back to our childhood, right? I never want to be struggling again. I don't want to be struggling for money. I don't want to be worried. Um, but yet I've picked this career that isn't a stable thing. Right. What could be more vulnerable be, or uncertain? Yeah. Um, Were there times where you did other things to make money other than act once oh, you started? Oh, yeah. I did not have, like, steady, steady work all the time. And, you know, I'd 
tremendous droughts. Um, but when I was younger, I had regular jobs. I was a short order cook slash caddy at a golf course in the Bronx for like three summers. I co-checked. I was a face painter at FAO Schwartz. These are all very good skills. Which was, yeah, I, I don't know how to face paint. I actually was like a, a dancing doll and I couldn't talk. And I had to just, you know, they played the song, Welcome to Our World, Welcome to Our World of Toys, like just nonstop. And I'd go after school and, oh, well, <laughs> there's, <laughs> I, uh, I had, you know, the, the, can you face paint? We'll pay you like an extra $5 an hour. I said, of course I can face mm-hmm. paint. These poor kids would leave with like, Terrible butterflies like, on their face. Too. I'm going to say this at FAO Schwartz. Okay, if I weren't an actress, I'd be like a 14 year old <laughs> pregnant person. If I'm not a face painter, I'm t- yeah, I can face paint. Otherwise, I'd be a pregnant 14 year old. Yeah, I feel like so. Dominic, who you know, I think you played husband and yes, wife in a movie yes. together. My husband also had the FAO Schwartz Did job, he? and he remembers. I think he was like demonstrating a toy. Yes, and Tim Robbins came in, who you know he idolized as an actor, and had just that moment where you're like. Hi, Mr. Robin. This is, are you buying a toy for your son for Christmas? Like, oh, yeah. Also, can I do a monologue for you? Like, just those moments of complete, um, yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You gotta, That's like, absolutely it. I remember after I was on Broadway on the Rose, the Rose Tattoo, I didn't work for a long time and I needed money and I co checked and I co checked. My friends all waited tables at this restaurant. And it was very good money being a co-check girl, yeah, especially during the holidays. But you know, sometimes people would come in who knew me and from your professional from my professional life. life, and it was like, oh, hey. Then you think you know they're thinking, what? Well, things must be really bad for you, and gotta like suck it up and say, I gotta pay my rent. Mm-hmm. I don't have, you know, I don't have anything, anything really to fall, to fall back. back. I was always very frugal. Like I paid off my student debt as soon as I could, and you know, I had student loans to pay off. Like. Most people in the world have, you know, some kind of debt. And um, that Fannie takes... Mae is not their aunt's name. No, exactly. You're so funny. <laughs> but you remember there was a picture of Dustin Hoffman. I think it was right after he did The Graduate. He's at the unemployment office. And he's someone takes a picture of him filling out his unemployment, you know, forms to get some money. That's what it is. So you got to – you never know what someone's going through or why they're doing a certain job and – who they're supporting. So I always think, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, this actor made such good choices and they're so picky about things. And I think, yeah, that's great. And if we're lucky to look and you're, you can afford to do that, sometimes you make choices, they don't work out. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times an actor is making a living and has to do jobs. What they got to do. Yeah. And we're pretty fortunate. Like I get to do this kind of job or even, you know, co-checking versus, you know, working the night shift in some factory, factory somewhere or something really that's, you know, really difficult. And I always feel like fortunate, really fortunate. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. So when did you feel like, OK, I just got my first big break? I think there were all these little moments like that and like, oh, no, I'm. I'm at Lincoln Center. You know, I've done two plays at Lincoln Center. I'm on Broadway. Everything's the credit of fame. Everything's everything's going to be different now. And then for whatever reason, Then I'm checking coats. Then I'm checking coats. Like that – no, it was even after the Rose Tattoo, which was a few years later. So I also was going – you know, I had sort of – I took time off to go to school. Then I wanted to write. And then, you know, things – it wasn't like a steady – like a one-way road. I had a lot of twists and turns. 
Right, because you wrote a screenplay, you directed. Yeah, I directed some shorts. You know, I thought when I got on The Sopranos, I thought, The Sopranos, oh my gosh, this is the best show on television. And they made me a series regular, and it's going to be great, and I'm with these people. And it was a big deal. Like, I could feel like they could say, you're on The Sopranos now. And then the writer's writer strike hit. And then there was nothing. You're like, hold on one second. I'm like, are you aware that I just got, <laughs> like, I just got a, hi, it's Kara. I just got the biggest job. WGA. Quick question. Could you hold off? Yeah. Yeah. So then there was not, there were no jobs to be had. For... Did you audition for that part? Yes. Oh, I have a funny audition about that. Yes. Yeah, so that was in 2004. Mm-hmm. No, 2005. I'd actually run the 2005 marathon. Incredible. As a reward, you got to be As on The Sopranos. And I had gone through a very bad breakup at the time. So every I was seeing everything through the filter of that breakup. Of sadness. Of sadness and sort of, you know, feeling bad about everything. And Right. Like you'll never have love again. I'll never have love again. Right. And what's happened and why is, you know... You know, I was crying during my runs, and which is an instant repel- repellent. Like, oh, do you want to run with me? <laughs> she's, really attra- she's really attractive. <laughs> yeah. Could you talk a little more about your ex-boyfriend and that breakup? That's that's like right. what I would do on all my first dates. <laughs> right. I was literally like everything it says to do in the book, I would do the opposite. I know. Right? Isn't it? It's just hard not to. It's just on the surface, you know, when it's so raw. I know. And it's whatever. It it's, worked out. It worked out. It all worked out. So I actually auditioned for another role on Sopranos, and I actually was in the room with David Chase, and the feedback was, you're too young for this role. And I thought, okay. And then they said, there's another role. God, I'd kill for that feedback right, right. now. Well, that was, you know, 15 <laughs> years ago, whatever. Well, say that again one more. I'm too, too young. young. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, there's a comeback, and I had to go work with George Ann Walken, the casting director, and Two Christopher things. Walken's wife, Christopher by the way. Christopher Walken's wife, the most lovely person, casting director casting on the planet. So nice. She said to me, she goes, that your accent, it's a little heavy. I said, let me tell you, this is an accent I worked years on getting rid of, okay? So don't tell me. It's not like the real thing. She's like, low, yeah, too much. Too much. I'm like, You're like, no, this okay. is really my accent. But I was very defensive during this time. And then they said, they want you to dress sexier. But just a little sexier. And I didn't actually take it as an offense, like, I know we're seeing everything now through this It's a lens. different lens, yeah. But the character was supposed to be a little sexier, I guess. But then I just thought, I'm not sexy. That's why my boyfriend broke up with me, yeah. you know. Yeah, thanks, so, Georgianne. This is my uh, accent, and I'm not sexy. Right, right. Thank you. So I went in, and, uh, you know, I dressed in a, like a, a dress and heels. It wasn't, you know, they didn't want me to be crazily overtly. Just, I guess, whatever I'd worn before. They Step wanted the opposite. Yeah. And I walked in, and then they said, oh, you, David Chase said, you were just here. And I was like, how could you not remember? You know, but I said, yes, I was. And that's was. why I'm here again. You called me back, You called David. me back. I didn't just show up. And it was so innocuous what he said, but I was just so <laughs> sensitive about everything. You were not in a good place. Not in a good place. But I think it worked for me because I, I had a... I was just like... You had a nice, I angry hate audition. All of you. I hate everybody in this room. Yeah. I dare you to I'm, cast My me. legs are still on fire from running across the 59th Street Bridge. I can barely walk up a curb. You had your marathon medal. I'm like, <laughs> uh, is this sexy? This is, is this my sexy? marathon medal. Okay. Yeah. I'm wearing heels. You know how hard it is to work, walk in heels after a marathon? Now, I did my audition. They said, thank you. very, And I walked out. And I remember being on the subway, like, in my coat, 
sitting there waiting for the train to go back. And there was all these ketchup packets on the – someone had spilled some ketchup packets. And these kids ran by and they like <laughs> stepped on all of them. And they literally – they were like a machine gun of ketchup squirted all over me. Like someone shot me with like a, a, an automatic gun full of ketchup. And I was like, ah! And I was like covered in ketchup and I was disgusting and the train was delayed. And I just thought, oh, these people don't remember me from my last week audition. I'm like, it's I'm in pain. I have, my boyfriend broke up with me. What's going to change? I stink. I smell like a hamburger. And then they said, well, they're looking at the tapes from L.A. And if they don't like anybody, then you'll get the part. I'm like, the tapes from L.A.? Come on. <laughs> and then I got the job and I was, you know, beyond excited and 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 the reason that job is so important fast forwarding it to my life long story short i was at the 2007 emmy awards with sopranos on a red eye back to new york and i sat next to my future husband so i always thank david chase for casting me cuz i met my husband that's on incredible the plane. Well, so, let's talk a little bit about that because I've sat next to many people on an airplane. <laughs> None of them are my husband. Um, this is Peter. Peter, yes. Everyone, just Google him because he's really handsome. Peter Thum. Yes, and and a philanthropic god. Mm-hmm. Highly intelligent. He is highly intelligent. My husband, Peter Thum, is an amazing – he's a social entrepreneur. He's dedicated his life to working on complicated issues across the globe – you know, the water crisis, uh, helping people get clean water and dealing with the um, proliferation of guns and illegal guns in our country and the gun violence issue. And I know that every time you go into a Starbucks and there's an Ethos Water there, mm-hmm. that's a company that he founded. Yes, my husband founded Ethos Water back in – he had the idea in 2000. Um, he was actually working for McKinsey uh, in South Africa – they wanted for a company trying to uh, expand their wine business. And as he walked around, he goes, these people don't need wine. They need water. And he wrote this idea on a napkin saying, well, if you need – if I started a bottled water company, you bought my water, then a percentage could go to help fund projects or help people get clean water. So this was prior to – see, he's sort of an original – I call him like a pioneer in the social good world. Um this model of, you know, you need a cup of coffee, buy my coffee. Some of it, the money will go to help people Amazing. elsewhere. And Amazing. He's um, he's really such a – he's a big thinker and he, he stays up at night and worries about the things he's working on. But the thing is we all stay up at night at, and worry. <laughs> yeah. He figures out how to solve the problem or, or to – to begin to solve the problem. And that's an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Well, I think that's true. I think we, we can all feel so helpless and hopeless and taking action. And even if it's like, well, here we are, we're helping a small community here. It is, I believe it has a ripple effect. And even in the smallest way, it it, it does something. It, it's helping people. It's even if, you know, you feel good doing it because you feel like you're taking action when things feel so overwhelmingly negative. It's incredible. Yeah. And and also for you guys to um, to be in a relationship with someone who inspires you in all of these different ways must be a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And to be with someone who's not just living the same kind of life that you are. So, I mean, I love being yeah. married to an actor, but our world can feel small sometimes. Yeah. So having someone who's 
a passionate person supports what you do so completely and loves it and is willing to have a great time with it and willing to kind of like take over with your kid when you're, you know, I feel like there's a lot of give and take in that way. So we're adding into the story that you have a daughter. Um, But to go back, so you get The Sopranos and you're on a plane ride home and you meet this man Mm -hmm. and suddenly the ketchup is removed from your face and the tears are gone (laughs) and your legs are less uh, wobbly from the marathon and you fall in love. I'm sure it didn't all happen on one flight. That's a whole other months and months of twists and turns to that story. But then you end up on Mad Men. In right, a pivotal <clears throat> role. So yeah, lo- actually, it worked out because there was a writer strike, and that's when I had embarked on my relationship with Peter. So there was nothing going on, and I was able to get Focus to know him. Love. And yeah, and uh, after we got married, you know, got back into auditioning, and things were were gearing up. Uh, Madman was on. Madman, I think, was one of the few shows. No, they were on strike. I don't remember exactly, but I think they were in there. So it was season four that I auditioned for. I actually, yeah, I was doing pilot season out in L.A., which is so much fun. People who know your podcast, well, I guess we'll have heard about, you know, we talked about pilot season. You know, it's all year round now, but there was a time, there's a time of year. All the pilots get cast and most people go to L.A. and you have so many auditions. And and no possible way to learn all the material in the time they're asking you to. But it feels so hopeful. i got to get one of these things. Yeah. I read for 7,000. I read for 7,000. And there would be many pilot seasons where I didn't. And, you know, prior to Stranger Things, I'd only done one pilot. I've I've been added to shows. Yeah. But I've never – I've tested them so many times and I just thought, I can never get a pilot. What is this? And Did you audition for the role of Faye? Yeah, so I was out there for for pilot season, and I actually had an audition in the place they were shooting Mad Men, and I said, "Oh, this is you know I knew Matt Weiner from Sopranos." I said, "Oh, was he a writer when you?" Yeah, so I was like the last character to be added as a series regular, and he was a writer. I just liked Matt immediately. He was just he's funny. He's brilliant. And, and he was around when you were shooting. Yes, he was around. A lot of times the writers were around on Sopranos. I mean, it was really like a family. And and I said, I'm going to just go visit. You know, I said, can you just tell Matt, you know, Carabono's here from Sopranos. I just wanted to say hi. And he came out. And I actually had dyed my hair blonde. I was really dark, dark black hair for the Sopranos. And I, was, I had done a movie. And... He looked at me and goes, oh, he, people didn't really recognize me because it's such it was drastic. black to black hair to this to my blonde. I said, I just want to say hi. I'm here doing auditions. And he said, hi, how are you? He, he told me he was working on the role at the time. And Was he like, hey, I might have something for you? No, no. Just there was nothing. Just what I'm working on. No, no, I mean, I knew they were writing the next season. But right. I'm a, just a huge fan of the show. And I, I had a few auditions there. So whenever I was there, I'd go back. And and he was welcoming. Yeah, he was very welcoming. And he actually had me come in the writer's room one day. Because come meet the writers. Okay, we are ending the episode here. The story of how she got Mad Men, how she got Stranger Things, and a million other incredible things that Kara shares with me will continue on my episode with her next week. So stay tuned for more Caravano, and thank you for listening.
If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.